Hey, hello, and welcome to Realcom's second installment in the Real Estate Data and Analytics Series for 2022. I'm Chuck Nicewanger, president of NiceNets Consulting, sitting in for Realcom's Sarah Bempered as host of today's webinar, Generating Insights by Leveraging Business Intelligence and Advanced Analytics. We're glad you've chosen to tune in because this webinar will really help you get a sense of what other organizations have gone through and are still going through to create actionable insights in an effort to reach the coveted prescriptive and even cognitive analytic stages. But before we get started, let me go over a few housekeeping items that will help you have a great webinar experience. First of all, thank you to all of our live attendees. We do encourage you to use the Q&A box at the bottom left of your screen to submit questions or comments. We'll try to get to all the questions, but if we don't answer them during the webinar, we'll follow up with you once the event has concluded. You'll find today's presentation and last week's on data strategy in the handout section of your GoToWebinar control panel. And for the best webinar experience, we do recommend closing out any of the other internet applications, especially streaming videos. And if you experience any technical issues, connectivity, sound, video quality, the best thing to do is always to disconnect and just connect back to the webinar again. And you can also email Ian Thompson at ithompson at realcom.com for more help. But don't worry, it's all being recorded, so you won't miss anything since you'll receive a link to that recording in just a few days. This educational webinar is sponsored by our gold sponsors and our silver sponsors. CoStar empowers industry professionals with the most comprehensive data combined with reliable tools, resources, and a deep understanding of nearly 6 million CRE properties across every market. Copper Tree Analytics, brings their 40 years of building management expertise with comprehensive analytics and managed solutions to help businesses start saving energy now. Kimberly Clark Professional is committed to innovative products and practices that serve your business's ever-changing needs, empower your people, and help navigate change. Let's learn a little bit more about Kimberly Clark Professional with this video. Realize the rewards of being together again welcoming clean healthy spaces friendly eyes new and familiar faces you help make it possible to bring people together again but with elevated hygiene standards you need new tools to help you succeed great hygiene starts in the restroom and onvation makes it easy kimberly clark professional featuring trusted brands scott and purell now brings you Onvation, your connected software solution that brings intelligence into the restroom. With Onvation, you gain real-time visibility on product consumption and traffic patterns, helping to improve facility hygiene. Onvation enables smart, proactive restroom servicing so you can help assure the wellness of others as they return to work. Your job helps us rediscover the rewards of being together. Onvation helps you make it possible. All right, I bet you didn't know that about Kimberly Clark, did you? So, all right, well, we thank all our sponsors for helping us out at Realcom. And when you're thinking about data consolidation, operational efficiency, sustainability, and change management, I recommend that you include these companies in your vendor evaluation process. Our moderator is Stuart Appley, Managing Director of CBRE's Global Workplace Solutions Group. He's a thought leader, drives innovative digital projects across CBRE, and someone I've known for many years. So Stuart, you have a great panel, so I'll get out of the way and let you just jump right in. Thanks. 
Great. Thanks, Chuck. And uh, I'm glad to be here. And yeah, really looking forward to the panel. Some uh, great people joining us today. So this is going to kick off and just set the stage for uh, the conversation today and um, talk about advanced analytics and the foundation to get there. So let me get this. Okay. So recognize that, you know, we're talking about advanced analytics. Uh, the last session was about um, standard business intelligence, but also realize that everyone is very different on their journey on where they are in business intelligence. And so I think many people have seen graphs like this on the maturity curve of where people stand. Uh, it's probably safe to say that everyone at this point is probably at least to the insight, but very little people who have gotten to predictive and prescriptive and even cognitive. And we'll talk about little about that today and how people get there and challenges and um, ways to be successful. But no matter what it is, there's definitely a foundation that is needed. And it really is about data quality and data governance. Uh, so we are going to be talking about a lot of that today. Uh, it's critical. You can't even get to hindsight or insight without it. Um, so I hope everybody listening um, has been thinking about data governance and, and has that um, in their playbook and, and foundationally. But um, you know, it's the single source of truth. And, you know, one thing that people also realize about data governance is that it's a business issue. It's not a technology issue. And so you do have to have a partnership between the business and the technology to ensure that there are data stewards and people looking at the quality um, with everything they do. So on that note, uh, before I get there, just wanted to also, you know, here are some specific use cases that we've seen related to advanced analytics. So predicting, uh, understanding uh, what's going to happen ahead. Uh, these are some ones that we've seen and some ones that are in use today. This is not fully comprehensive. Um, it's just good representative of things to think about when you talk about um, looking forward uh, as opposed to looking backwards, which is really what we're talking about with advanced analytics. At CBRE, uh, there was a project that we did a couple of years ago that I thought would be just a good case study when we think about uh, advanced analytics and predictive. And um, one note there is when we say predictive, it is really about saying what we think is going to happen based about data. Prescriptive is also making a recommendation. Uh, so this is a good example of um, we did a, a case, we did a pilot with uh, AI about automating a service ticket. And so the thought was, okay, you can use, you know, today it can be kind of cumbersome. You can go and you got to do drop downs. You got to look for different, you know, hey, where am I? What's the type of ticket? And, you know, nobody knows. Nobody really cares, right? It's just that it's hot in here or there's a water spill or something needs to happen right away. So we did this pilot using data that we accumulated from our CMMS and work orders. Uh, and the big piece about it is that we had that data and we had a good data quality foundation that was already set up to make that possible. So we started this journey. Uh, and in this example, um, on the left is what I mentioned before, where, you know, employee goes to a portal, you do a drop down, you figure out the ticket and it's just kind of cumbersome. But how about if you could just use the words that people are, are putting in there and you infer what they're trying to mean by it. And again, you could say spilled coffee. Uh, you know, is that a, is there a coffee machine broken or is it, you know, do you have a spill? Do you have a carpet cleaning? It can mean different things, but it's, it's inferring what the meaning of those texts using natural language processing. 
in this use case, we ended up putting it through a machine learning model, um, a couple different models in there that we ended up using. And in this example, it was a UI on the right that uh, we did to represent just the outcome uh, for people who are interested in, in, in what we built. And so this example was water everywhere. It came back with a 93.53% confidence that, you know, you were talking about plumbing. Um, so pretty high. I mean, that's a fairly high confidence. But the point of all of this is that this would not have been possible if we had not had good quality data. And when we brought it into our data warehouse that we thought about that in advance, um, Laura and others are going to talk a little bit about how different systems come in and how you bring that data into one view. Uh, so really looking forward to hearing about that. But this is just a good one example of, of something that we did um, and things you'll hear about as we go through the presenters. Okay, so with that, um, set the stage for what we're going to talk about today. Let me introduce our first uh, panelist. So, um, Jesse Timmerman, who I know uh, very well from the Shorenstein days. Jesse, good to see you. Good morning, Stuart. Nice to see you. So, Jesse is Vice President of Information Technology at Shorenstein Realty Services, uh, managing data reporting and app integration. Began his career as an electrician. Uh, since 2006, maintained Infinity for Microsoft's database and BI technologies. Jesse's Microsoft Certified Solutions expert in data management and analytics, and also has become increasingly invested in Azure, IIS, and DevOps for the last five years. So, Jesse, take it away. Thank you, Stuart. And uh, yeah, I've been dabbling in many different technologies. Uh, we're a little bit of a smaller IT team here at Shorenstein, but that also makes it uh, quite fun. So as I get into the presentation, I want to highlight that the solutions we put in place, the plans we have, they're all focused on right-sizing those technologies, those solutions for our business. So we have 8 billion under management. We've had 12 funds since 92, and we've got about 23 million square feet of primarily commercial office space. So that's just to set a stage for where our decision-making process is when it comes to build versus buy and when it comes to where on that maturity curve do we want to exist. And so as I uh, get into my first slide here, which I'm just waiting to, uh, to show up, we'll give it, we'll give it one second. <laughs> All right, hopefully I haven't uh, overclicked. So you may be saying, why do we see uh, a depiction of the Titanic disaster here on the right? I first saw this example, and I stress adaptation here, from a book by Brian Larson back around 2010. And it was highlighting how in the Titanic disaster, which was over 100 years ago, we had folks with the right information, with the warning information, but because it was so long ago, because there weren't the right delivery methods or a system in place, and because of some human fault, those individuals with the right information could not get it to the decision makers in time. And I also stress adaptation because the history books have many versions of what actually happened. But in essence, the Californian saw the iceberg and warned the Titanic. The Marconi wireless operator told them to shut up because they were prioritizing the affluent members of the uh, of the ship, their message is going out. Then the Titanic radioed for help, which hit Newfoundland. And by the time the message got back to the Californian, the captain had apparently gone to sleep. 
and the Carpathia didn't really understand the message or the location of the Titanic. And so thinking about why we go down a BI journey, you'll see that I've struck through the traditional business intelligence term up on the left, which has been rather static for about 20 years. Focus with your audience, with your business audience, with your sponsors on delivering actionable information to end users and decision makers. Cut it off there, and if necessary, we get into the actual features, the technologies. Now, here we do have another data maturity diagram. And the reason that we see this again is that in last week's uh, part one of this series, we had Gautam Vopala from Philips Edison highlight how lots of companies, lots of BI practitioners get stuck at the edge looking into this chasm of how do I get from the manual analytics, the descriptive analytics over to diagnostic, the why did it happen? And you'll see these green boxes here. They're highlighted because in our organization, our IT team is, as I said, rather small, but we also have some fantastic analysts in our various groups, our fund accounting groups, our investment groups. And we have been able to get over that chasm to start achieving diagnostic reporting in a sense, and to start data storytelling in a sense. So here's a quick example. We're looking at a leasing report. The leasing report is purely descriptive. It's a month end leasing report. And it says that one of our funds had a 5% increase in vacancy at the end of January. Now you're a data historian at that point. It's pretty hard to mess up. And someone asks, Hey, why, why do we have a 5% increase? So we start creeping toward diagnostic, but diagnostic has its own subscale with, with it. We can tie that vacancy bar chart directly to tenants that didn't expire. And it's a stretch, but we're still technically in diagnostic land. When you cough that answer up, you're doing drill down, the first stage of diagnostic, but you're quickly gonna be asked, why? Why didn't they renew? And that's where we start having to get into data discovery, data mining, and forming correlations that might not be real. We have to start speculating. And so in the perfect world, you may have, and Stuart started to touch on this with looking at machine learning and other methods, maybe you rigorously get a tenant exit interview. You might find out that that tenant in one building didn't renew because you decided to yank the bike room because you thought you wanted more capacity in your parking garage. Now you start dabbling in a sense, into your predictive and prescriptive land. And you might say, well, well, how? All I know is that they didn't like the fact that we got rid of the bike room. Well, now you might start to predict if you see this trend in other locations, that if you yank other bike rooms, that you're gonna lose tenants. And then in prescription, you're trying to stop the tenant from leaving. So you may now stop, start qualifying the quality of that correlation between getting rid of a bike room and a tenant renewing. Now, of course, this is a wild example, but it highlights how we don't necessarily have to step into the pure ML and AI world to start gaining the benefits of predictive and prescriptive analytics. Now here at Shorenstein, and as Stuart knows, he was here in uh, 2015 when I uh, came in, we had the Greenfield scenario as Andrew Weekland on the panel last week brought up with the panelists. 
our business knew that they wanted a BI solution. They knew that they wanted self-service. They wanted daily data. It needed to be internally supported so that we could have quick turnaround when there's a new request or support needed. It needed to be absolutely accurate. And we'll talk on the next, on the next slide a little bit about some of the connectivity. How were they going to consume this information? But what we didn't have were use cases, clearly defined. We knew we wanted to look through our leasing data. We knew we wanted to get our NOI data. But because we didn't have clear examples in front of us of what our peers were doing or uh, what some of the vendors at the time were able to produce, we actually started by taking everything we knew, dumping it into a singular model and trying it out. And that worked out pretty well. Stuart, I'm going to pause for a moment and see if you uh, have any questions before I continue on there. I'm kind of... Um, I guess one question would be, so you say quickly follow data, lit, data lineage um, and interactive. Maybe just touch on those two. What are you actually guys doing with those? Yeah. So on the lineage, we quickly were asked the question uh, or, or told, show me, show me what's behind this number. And one nice thing about the tool set that we have selected, and I'll, I'll pan to that next screen as I talk about this, we decided to put in a formal data warehouse aggregate many of our source systems there on the left. We used Microsoft's BI stack for ETL, extract, transform, and load processes. And we loaded everything into a tabular model. What's nice about a tabular model is that the language used to write your metrics, which are called measures, it's called DAX, which stands for Data Analysis Expressions. It's becoming very ubiquitous as more and more people start using Power BI. And it's easy to have a conversation with an analyst or a power user because it is very similar to the formulaic language that's existed in Excel for quite some time. And this could be a metric that aggregates all of your portfolio in one shot, or sometimes we just simply need to gross up a building based on what the BOMA measurement might be. So we might have rentable square footage of 850, and we need to grow each non-vacant space by some percentage in order to total out to 855. Tools like we have selected make it very easy to do so, but then also to explain to your user how you're arriving. Um, and then your other questions, Stuart, on the, the interactive. So up front, our users intended to connect into our data model either as a power user, true self-service, primarily with Excel. Examples included bringing cash flow information by contribution and distribution transaction type and building those into their separate models that they use for looking at property returns and liquidity. Paginated reports, those are IT created, but they had a single source of truth. We didn't have to go through the steps of redefining a query from scratch for every report. And then on interactive, we started using Power BI in the beginning, which has grown exponentially in its uh, capabilities. And if we have some time at the end, we can have some Q&A on that because the Power BI engine actually exists in about, uh, let's call it five Microsoft products today. And uh, Stuart, out of uh, respect for time, I'm not gonna go to the other two slides I have. Um, I'll let you uh, yeah. advance there. No, that sounds great. Appreciate that. And I've got a few follow-up questions, but I'll save them for the end uh, just for time. And yeah, thanks for that. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jesse. You're welcome. Seeing a few here. 
All right. Okay. So next up, we've got Kevin Wang at Prologis. Uh, I want to tee up Kevin's presentation. All right. Kevin is Vice President of Data Science and Advanced Analytics at Prologis. Joined Prologis back in 2018 to launch and build out the Advanced Analytics organization. Almost four years now, he's oversees R&D, internal AI platform, development machine learning models, and other customized data solutions drive change and results across the business. So, uh, Kevin, all yours. Yeah, thank you, Stuart. Um, hey, folks, I'm excited to be here to share with you guys, hey, what Prologis has gone through in terms of a journey for advanced analytics and data. Uh, <clears throat> So in terms of first, what I want to start with is give you guys, give everyone here an understanding of how we use data. And then we're going to go into a little bit about our journey. Um, as you can see from the slide, you know, we as an organization, when I first started, we use a little bit and we have continuously expanded how much data we collect and how much data we leverage in terms of everything we do. Uh, in the beginning, it was primarily focused on leasing transaction and property characteristics. And over time, we have expanded into geospatial demographics as well as customer. We continue to look at more and more different data types. So this isn't just all of it. We continue to explode. Leasing In terms of leasing transaction data, um, we continue to add different metrics and different variables and features into that table. For same with property characteristics. We continue to expand the amount of property characteristics we study. And overall, I would say, uh, you know, it's a slow process, but it is absolutely very necessary as you find more insights and it's like peeling back an onion. Um, you analyze a little bit of data and the more you analyze, the more you realize you need more. We take all this data and we put it into a variety of tools. Uh, the team is actively looking at different machine learning models and building out models for different use cases. We also put into our geospatial mapping platform to understand, hey, how does it look? Um, from uh, from a map. Uh, it's probably some of the best ways of visualizing and understanding real estate data. We continue to leverage in surveys and in terms of other types of tools we use, we probably never move away from Excel just because of its flexibility and overall power um, and the familiarity it has in the organization. Uh, but we are expanding into Tableau and Power BI and then for all of our machine learning and everything else, we do use R and Python. Organizations that we impact, we are heavily focused on supporting the leasing team, as well as investment development strategy and planning. We are very focused on bringing all of these data elements, leveraging the tools that are depicted in the middle to support all the decisions that are made, both from simple decisions at the very bottom to some of the most complex decisions at the very top. So how do we, how do we get here? On the top side, for the blue boxes, everyone should notice that it, you know, it's very IT and technical uh, related. On the bottom, it's very business and process. And what I do want to highlight is the fact that it is a cohesive um, execution across all these, all six of these in order to you know, be able to walk this journey fairly well. Uh, and that's just how we've done it. We didn't start off by just collecting data. Rather, we collected a small sample of data, established some use cases with it, and then moved on to collecting more data as the use case expanded in scope, scale, and complexity. As more data was collected, we um, executed data management. Obviously, the more data you have, the harder it is to manage. 
Uh, and then when it came to use cases, as use cases become more complex, we have to really change our way of just gathering data and generating insights to really focus on generating good hypotheses so we can focus the resources on gathering what's necessary. Finally, as we continue to expand upon this maturity curve, we go into tool selection. What is the best tools for the stuff, for all of this? In the beginning, Excel was sufficient. Then it became Tableau, and now we're at R and Python. As, and it's just this maturity that is this parallel maturity on the technical front, as well as the business front. As we started off on the bottom, you know, the use cases were broad and it was high level. As we go into testing, it gets a little bit more detailed. And then finally, when it becomes very mature, we're looking at integrating into the process. So in terms of our journey, it's not just do one and then do the other, but it's doing everything all at once and incrementing on everything on small steps so that you reach the level of maturity necessary to move on to the next level. It's probably gonna be different for all organizations, but at least here at Prologis, this is what we focused on. And so, um, uh, next slide, but Stuart, um, in terms of questions, uh, I think uh, this is pretty much it. Okay, great. Well, yeah, no, I, uh, a couple things. One, on the previous screen, I loved how you had the technical piece separated from the business piece. Maybe you can talk about that. What's that partnership like between the IT and the business? And because um, it has to be a partnership, for sure. Oh yeah, the partnership is probably the single-handedly most critical point. And when I talk about the partnership, you actually have to separate into three separate components. One is knowing what metrics make sense. Okay, this is probably something the business is responsible for, but it must be heavily uh, influenced by IT because there are things that business the business wants, but you don't have the data to deliver. So it's a collaboration to figure out what makes sense to show. Second, what makes sense to understand? I mean, uh, like part of managing data is making sure everyone has the same definition. And once again, it's a matter of what the business wants versus what is technically possible. And finally, in terms of talking the same language, making sure that communication continues because everything I've just said evolves. As the use case evolves, as complexity and scope evolves, all the definitions of what was agreed upon in the past is probably not applicable anymore for the current environment. So this part, like um, the reason why I really stress on the fact that it is an ongoing evolution where the processes must be executed in parallel is because this evolution continuously happens. If you just focus on one aspect, you're gonna leave the other one behind. Yeah, that evolution is critical for sure. It's, it's you know, try it and iterate. Um, yeah, I can definitely see that. What was the most difficult part of the journey so far, would you say? I would say, hands down, it's getting, uh, it's interpreting interpretation between the two. By far, it's the change management, um, making sure that everyone is aligned. And, you know, this is probably very common, but helping the business understand what is important to IT rather than IT being a black box is incredibly incredibly important. It's very easy to say, hey, give me this data. I want to see this metric. And that's just, and what we found out is that that's primarily because the business doesn't have the knowledge of how it's accomplished. They just have to trust IT. And thus, if they don't understand, the only thing they can measure the technology or analytics side is based upon the results that are generated. If they actually understood the process and we take the time to help educate them on the, on the basics, then it moves from measuring on results to measuring on process steps. 
in the sales cycle, everything's measured by process steps. Hey, here's the lease was, we started talking to a customer. We're in the process of talking pricing. We've shown the customer the space, et cetera. Because a business understands the process, they measure on process steps. And, and finally, ultimately results are always measured. But without that lack of understanding, um, interpretation and collaboration becomes very difficult, especially when road bumps are hit. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, it looks like we got a question from um, the attendees for you. So, uh, Kevin, you mentioned the first step is collecting data. Is that data that was already being collected by Prologis, and was that a matter of finding it, or are there other attributes that you collected that um, that the company had not previously collected? It's a combination of both. When I first joined, there were already a lot of property characters, characteristics collected. But as we defined our use cases more and as we advanced up the maturity curve, what we come to find is that there were several new attributes that had to be collected or revalidated or uh, cleaned. Um, you really don't know what you want or what you need until you start seeing some results from certain experiments and certain types of hypotheses that are being tested. And so it is back to the natural evolution of, hey, this is where we began, got some stuff. And then naturally, you will find that new attributes will come in. You just need it. There's no way. Or else, it, uh, without it, you can't explain the results and you can't move forward. Have you found collecting data is becoming easier or harder? Uh, seems like there's more availability of that external data today. Uh, it's. Depends on what you ask. Some of the stuff is easy because I can just go out there and buy it now. I'm like, oh, okay, we need this. Let's go out there. How much is it? Well, let's find a few vendors and grab the data. You know, right. some of that's easy. Um, some of it, uh, not gonna lie, it's it's hard. It is hard. Sometimes uh, some of the data is so hard that ultimately, you know, we have to call a few property managers and then they drive out to the building. They take out their measuring tape. They go measure what we want. <laughs> But that's like a three to four hour exercise for our property managers. And that's probably just for a few buildings. We have some, I always challenge my team to make a very strong use case or to convince me that there is an ROI to asking these folks to go out and collect this data. So it's going to be on the broad spectrum. Um, I always thought it was going to be easier. I've been proven wrong every year. All right. Well, no, that's great. You guys have done some really good stuff and get some more questions, but um, I'm going to move over to Laura now and uh, follow up uh, at the end. Thank you. All right. Great. All right, Laura. Good to see you. Good to see you. Okay. So um, my colleague, Laura Patel, Global Head of CBRE Business Analytics and Sales and Solutions. Laura and her team support more than 300 of CBRE's global enterprise clients, helping them structure, validate, and visualize some 336 billion portfolio data points. Before joining CBRE, Laura spent more than a decade in the prop tech industry, helping clients implement technology, business intelligence tools. So she's got a wealth of experience and um, glad to have you on the panel. So Laura, all yours. Awesome. Thanks, Stuart. Um, so like Stuart said, we support over 300 of CBRE's clients uh, really working at an extreme scale in managing data collected from more than 8 billion square feet of space globally. Um, Stuart said 336 billion, and normally I don't like to correct better things that are said about me than reality, um, but to ground us in reality, just because we're talking facts and data today, it actually is 36 billion, which is still a ton of data um, collected about our clients' uh, buildings around the world. 
Um, so we've developed a unique expertise working with really, really large volumes of data from hundreds of different systems, supporting organizations by helping to bring clarity and consistency to their global analytics programs. And most of the organizations that we work with are very sophisticated and they have really sophisticated analytics teams internally, but they're looking for a partner that understands data in a real estate context, um, which is sometimes a bit hard. And so that's where we look to supplement their existing programs and expertise. So although I would argue um, we're at the most exciting point in history in terms of um, you know, data adoption, I would also say that it's the most challenging. Most organizations have made just enormous investments in business intelligence and analytics tools over the last 10 years, uh, and they're continuing to prioritize those programs, which is what you can see um, from the, the summary um, uh, of a, a recent client poll that we did. It's a challenging time though, because firms recognize the power and potential of data, and they're looking for really kind of sexy and innovative approaches to overcoming age old challenges. Um, but the reason it's hard is a lot of firms are looking for a that was easy button. And so our job today is to support them in meeting those stretch goals and bringing radically innovative um, solutions to the table. But we also have to ground them in the realities of standing up a reliable analytics program, uh, which is to say that sometimes we're shooting for the stars, um, but we're also doing the really hard, unglamorous and foundational work that's required to ensure that the, the processes and documentation are in place that are going to support scale. So speaking to the first part of the puzzle, um, we start every client engagement by structuring and building a program that prioritizes outcome-centric, integrated, end-to-end -end delivery. That inherently means that sometimes we are actually prioritizing process uh, over progress, uh, at least in the short term. But what we found is that if we map out the process, um, we document the framework, and we start to view the delivery model as a system, the impacts of each service area start to become really apparent and that helps reveal all of the ways in which those individual service lines impact the process. And so a strategy starts to inform operations and through this continuous feedback loop, operations starts to inform strategy. Um, one of the biggest learnings that we've had in the last 10 years in, in standing up this global practice is we really need to work in deep partnership with our clients um, at scale. That's really been the crux of our success or failure on projects is the strength of that partnership. And so there's a lot of you know, consistencies, of course, that we can draw in working with those, those 325 plus clients that I mentioned. Um, and, and that would mostly be relative to um, the types of processes, technology and governments, governance sorry, that are being developed. Um, but what we found is at the level of scale of the clients that we're working with, although a lot of the, the framework and what is buttressing the ultimate solution um, can be derived from best practices across organizations, the ultimate end solutions are typically highly, highly customized. And so standing up a successful program really requires heavy engagement by the client to help translate all of the nuances of their business and in informing that ultimate strategy. So I talked a little bit about kind of the, the foundational work we do to establish the robust business intelligence programs that are going to allow for and support scale. On the flip side, we also take really seriously the need to establish, you know, and continuously um, bring to the table innovative world-class solutions for our clients. 
And so as a firm, we've taken a build by partner approach to innovation. Um, so building when we see an opportunity or a client need in the market that's not currently being met or that we're uniquely positioned to be able to help address. Uh, buying technology if there already is a best-in-class solution and maybe there's a, a small narrow of time that we want to be able to um, quickly bring a solution to our clients. Um, and then partnering where there's an opportunity for us to leverage the mutual strengths of complementary firms. And a great recent example of this um, is our merger with Altus Power that happened late last year. So for anyone that, that didn't read about this or isn't familiar with Altus, um, it was kind of a perfect marriage for us. Um, Altus's technology uses um, high resolution satellite imaging. And in doing so, it's able to actually capture and estimate the size of rooftops in a set geography. Uh, and then subsequently calculate the solar array potential of those assets. And in doing so, um, it's able to quantify the solar energy potential, again, within a set region or a set city. Um, and then we combined this with CBRE's uh, property information for about 800,000 buildings across the US and literally millions of uh, benchmarked data points relative to facilities management uh, costs and energy consumption, consumption of individual assets. And so in marrying the two together, we were able to automate the process of quantifying potential energy offsets and the associated financial benefits. Um, ESG goals have obviously, um, as you know, we're starting to see it more and more in the news, um, and especially in the last 16 months, they really emerged as key priorities for a lot of our clients. And so this project allowed us to really, really quickly bring solutions to market um, that put us in a better position to just add value for our clients um, on their journeys to decarbonize their portfolios. So that's all I had for you today. I'll open it up, uh, Stuart, if you had any questions for me or if anybody else did. Yeah, no, that's great. Thanks for thanks for that. Um, on the Altus one, uh, I thought that was just a great example when I first heard about it. I mean, it just seemed eye opening. And I love the word, the opportunity spotting that resulted from that. Uh, considering all the different types of uh, data you, you guys look through in real estate, are, what are some other opportunities spotting outcomes that, that you find um, successful at the moment? I mean, the greatest areas for growth uh, relative for opportunity spotting and, and I guess the buzzwords um, in the industry that we're seeing right now is a lot around just increased benchmarking um, and then also, you know, a couple of the prior speakers spoke about it, but predictive analytics. In terms of what we see, I would say that opportunity spotting has three ingredients. Um, one is scale. So, you know, being able to have a really, really rich, large, robust data set is what facilitates uh, us identifying trends. Um, a good example of that would be we get a lot of requests um, on the facilities management side from clients that are looking to uh, quantify and predict asset failure. Um, that's a great opportunity spotting use case, but we can only do that when we have literally thousands of data points about those individual assets such that we can put that into a model and start to predict that failure. And so um, the data volume on the client side is really critical. Um, I would say the, the second ingredient to that on the CBRE side is bringing context. 
Um, so maybe we identify an opportunity. Um, we are, or our hope at least is to be able to pair that information with um, context and benchmarks that we have from similar um, organizations or similar parts of how the portfolio is being managed in peer companies. Um, so that we're putting it in context to say, okay, we're identifying um, that, you know, again, just using my, my facilities management example, we're identifying that you probably have an asset that's going to fail. Is that premature or is that kind of on par with what you should be expecting relative to what we see with your peers? Um, and then the third piece of opportunity spotting, I would say, is breaking down silos. A lot of the, the beauty and the fun part of what we do on the analytics side of, of our business is we get to bridge uh, parts of the organization that may otherwise not talk to each other. And that's because they use different technologies or their teams are collecting uh, data in a silo. And so I would say the third ingredient is really us um, being able to unify across different um, parts of the business or across different parts of the tech stack. Yeah. Oh, wow. No, that's great. Something else you mentioned that was really interesting about the reliable foundation. You know, and I think that that's really critical. Uh, one of the slides showed a lot of different technologies that come into the funnel. I mean, no two clients are like, right? Of all the clients, there's probably no two client stack is like. Is there lessons learned from the success that um, you guys have had in dealing with that that you can share with everybody? Yeah, I mean, I think we are uniquely positioned um, with regards to how we're, we're poised to help our clients, um, despite the complexity and kind of differences in various tech stacks. The reason I say that is we're involved, you know, right from the point of uh, origination of that data through to the modeling and interpretation, just the nature of our business and supporting that full um, real estate life cycle. Having said that, I think, you know, not to beat a dead horse, but it kind of comes back to it to what I said in, earlier in the presentation. You can't just come in and be looking um, to provide the analytics and modeling tools, um, leveraging the data that already exists. I think it actually takes a very programmatic look at what technologies are being used to um, store or to organize that data, and then even going downstream and thinking about the processes that have to be put in place. Um, a good example of this, I was meeting with a very, very large global financial institution recently, and we were talking about some really advanced predictive modeling um, that we want to do for them. And repeatedly throughout the meeting, even though they have the best in class technology, they kept saying, we do not have confidence in the data that's being entered into those technologies because so many of the processes downstream are broken. And so I would say it's not so much about making sure that you have the right tech stack as it is the right uh, processes, the right tech stack, and then obviously um, the right approach to how you're bringing that all together in your analytics program. Yeah, no, that, that's great. And the confidence is really good. And we'll, we'll come back to that with data governance maybe at the end. Um, that was great. Thank you, Laura. Appreciate uh, that presentation. Thanks, Stuart. Okay, so now we're going to do a, a video um, for with CoStar. Tenants drive better outcomes for renewals and new space with direct access to CoStar market data and analytics. Get complete summaries of market and sub-market conditions for office, retail, and more. Instantly review vacancy, absorption, and other KPIs. See leasing and rent trends, including forecasts, as well as a complete list of available properties. Or easily search properties by radius or corridor. Each property has detailed photos, office and retail space availability, lease comps, current tenants, and much more. 
quickly examine peer properties and demographics like population, housing, and employment. The market analytics and related data adjust for any selection of properties. Save searches for specific criteria and get automatic alerts as soon as new properties become available. Empower your real estate team to secure stronger negotiating positions, direct brokers more effectively, and deliver more cost savings. Learn more by scheduling a customized demonstration now. Okay, that's good. So let me introduce uh, Kelly, and Kelly's uh, camera's at some issues today, so you won't be seeing them, uh, but you can hear them. So Kelly Clark, uh, Senior Director, CoStar Real Estate Manager, um, brings more than 25 years of team leadership, marketing technology, professional services, business development expertise to CoStar, uh, which is the global leader in commercial real estate information and marketplace. Currently represents companies' market data, analytics, and management application solutions for corporate and retail tenants. So, Kelly, um, on to you. Thanks very much. You know, it's great to be here today. Um, I'll try not to repeat what uh, some of the other panelists have spoken about, but you know, starting with uh, the business intelligence and analytics challenges, of course, the siloed systems and how do you connect those? And I'm sure a lot of you are making plans to uh, use Power BI and other tools to cohesively put that data together from a reporting standpoint. Um, and there's several groups that have to be involved now with real estate, including you know, operations and, uh, and accounting with new lease accounting standards. You know, a lot of different organizations within a company need access to data. Um, but you know, our, our goal, of course, is to help people simplify and streamline data at CoStar. I think a lot of people are familiar with CoStar uh, from a data standpoint, they may not realize all the ways that CoStar is actively uh, involved with data management and strategy, <clears throat> and particularly with the uh, analytics and reporting. Um, but we just want to try to, as a goal for, for data strategy, to, to put all these things together so people can access it, uh, manage workflows, even testing for data input. You know, data governance was mentioned earlier. If there's ways to manage how data is put in, because of course garbage in produces garbage out from a reporting standpoint. Um, sorry, I'm trying to click a slide here. Okay, whoops, went too more. Um, but one of the things that we emphasize is, um, you know, you've got your data, it's internal and you need to figure out ways to organize it <clears throat> and present it um, in, a, in a reporting in a business intelligence format. But one of the best things you can do is compare it to external data. Uh, again, GoStar is known for some of the things that were highlighted in the uh, video like market, some market conditions, um, lease and sale comps. But there's also forecasts and analytics that predict where uh, data is going and uh, being able to forecast things when it comes to like leasing renewals uh, income or movement in the, the markets or the properties that you're working with, whether you're a tenant or a, an owner, is essential for your business strategy. And um, that's some of the things that linking external data can do for you, particularly when it comes to uh, benchmarking. There's lots of ways of comparing and along this, um, this line of uh, advanced analytics and trying to get to a, a higher level of analytic uh, usage. There's, there's performance and practice benchmarking, but Moving towards external benchmarking where you can compare external data to internal is the most valuable source for creating uh, business intelligence and actionable um, insights. 
excuse me, and then um, external internal data strategy, of course, drives the real estate life cycle all the way through planning and execution through operations and even accounting now needs to uh, have access to information and being able to self-service uh, reports, data, and knowing what to do is, is critical uh, these days and making that happen as fast as possible with as much control is essential. Um, but a success story that we have worked with at CoStar is a large Fortune uh, 500 bank. We worked with them for more than 20 years in evolving their data strategy and their business analytics strategy um, by helping bring together market data from the outside that's, of course, continually updated and blending it with their portfolio data and management applications internally, and also pulling over data from other organizational features like uh, ERPs that have seats, uh, headcount data, uh, HR, and that kind of things, is a way of planning out the strategy uh, for real estate usage um, and how it's being uh, maximized and even cost savings opportunities. Um, there's a lot, not, not enough time today to go through all of those details, but if you um, get a get the um, handout from today, you'll find these uh, QR codes, or you can hold your phone up right now to the uh, screen and scan um, the QR code to get access to a case study or a success story that, that kind of highlights the uh, data uh, usage and uh, business intelligence uh, journey that this bank uh, that we've helped went along. And um, that might give you some more insights into what's possible uh, using an outside source of data like CoStar, as well as some of the applications that we offer. Because I noticed, um, like uh, the previous speaker talked about many data sources that have lease administration uh, information, but a system like CoStar actually integrates market data from the outside and blends it with your internal system data. So you have instant access to that information and can then report on it and pull that into other uh, business intelligence systems. So something that's useful there to consider as you're looking at uh, vendors and sources of data and how you're planning your strategy around, you know, what you need to get out of the uh, information that you're gathering. So that's it for me. No, that, that's great. So you talked a lot, obviously you guys play in the, the space of bringing external data in and how do you help clients? Um, are there other tools that you help them combine that data or do you rely on them or provide guidance? How do you guys uh, support that? Absolutely. I mean, you know, my division typically works with tenants and occupiers, but um, we always start with what's the strategy? What are you trying to do? For example, the bank was looking at how to compare their footprint of real estate to the footprints of uh, banks that they were looking to acquire. And over 20 years of working with them, I think they made about 30 acquisitions where they, they analyzed, you know, what's the cost, what's the operational value of, you know, keeping other footprint uh, bank operations in place versus switching them out or combining. So there's a lot of strategy that goes into that. And with uh, the tools that CoStar offers beyond just the data, you're able to help them kind of get an overlay and an analysis of how best to operate that space. Um, so that's just one example of how we do that. Okay. All right. Well, that's great. Well, I appreciate that presentation. That was great. Um, next, we are going to see a video from Copper Tree Analytics. Long before sustainability became a buzzword, our founders were involved in energy audits and consulting. In 2011, Carpetree Analytics was formed as a response to the growing demand for building energy management services. Our unique heritage draws upon years of controls, manufacturing, and smart building experience. 
This means that we have an implicit understanding of the technology that controls buildings, as well as an understanding of the practicalities of maintaining them. Telemetry analytics ensures that each customer receives a solution that results in time and resource savings. Our AI software, Kaizen, continuously monitors your building's performance, alerting you if a fault is detected or if performance is suboptimal. Our clients use this powerful tool to move from a reactive or preventative maintenance model to a data-driven, proactive maintenance approach. With no upfront capital investment and an affordable software-as-a-service usage fee, Kaizen results in time and resource savings for facility managers and cost savings for stakeholders. We deliver a comprehensive building analytics solution consisting of an energy information system and a fault detection and diagnostics platform with integrated system performance auditing. Carpentry Analytics can help you create operational efficiencies, reduce your building's energy consumption, and improve your bottom line. Sorry, sorry, you're on mute. I'll start over there. All right, so Ricardo Mora Masato, uh, Business Analytics at Copper Tree Analytics. Ricardo's focus over the last decade has been on the application and innovation of software as a service platforms for performance analytics, energy monitoring, and fault detection and diagnostics. Working with strategic partners, leading research institutions, Coptree applies his 25 and a half years, uh, Ricardo, of experience in process automation, software development, systems integration to help organizations reduce the carbon footprint, obviously a big thing these days, enhance operational efficiencies, pursuit of high performance buildings. Uh, Ricardo is certified energy manager and applied science technologist registered in British Columbia. So Ricardo, all yours. Thank you very much, Stuart. Control, yeah. All right, thank you uh, for the introduction. And also, I just want to thank uh, RealCon for putting together this uh, excellent uh, educational webinar. Uh, now, all panelists have uh, covered various aspects of uh, the use of data in real estate and asset management. And uh, what I would like to discuss today is uh, the use of technology uh, and uh, um, how it generates insights using data from building automation systems, energy meters, occupancy, and mechanical systems. And uh, also I would like to highlight uh, at the end uh, as well, the importance of management frameworks to consume those insights and take action. Some of the panelists have already touched on that as well. Um, All right, this uh, chart comes from the 2021 Global Status Report prepared by the Global Alliance for Buildings and Construction. And it uh, really highlights the fact that over a third of the total energy use globally is related to buildings and the construction industry. Uh, when you look at these, uh, these particular numbers here, the CO2 emissions as well are also trending around the same percentage globally. And according to the report, to achieve the agreement on, on global and climate change, the global building construction sector must almost completely decarbonize by 2050. And uh, of course, while doing so, meeting all the demands the, that, that will come in, in years ahead, 
or energy services in buildings due to the increase of uh, uh, forest space requirements, EV infrastructure, and so on. And we also know that uh, various studies have estimated that between 15 to 30 percent, 30 percent of energy used in commercial buildings is wasted uh, by poorly maintained, degraded, and properly controlled equipment. So definitely there are challenges, but there are also opportunities. Let's talk a little bit about energy management and information systems, or EMIS, which are tools and services that are used to manage commercial building energy use. And this diagram was taken from a report that details the final results from uh, the Smart Energy Analytics Campaign led by the Department, Department of Energy between 2016 and 2020. And uh, as you can appreciate in this picture, there are various data sources, including utility bill data, interval meter data, building automation system data, and so on that are integrated into a central repository. And, and this is here where, where engines are executing rule-based analytics, as well as model-based advanced analytics that continuously mine these data sets and are generating insights with applied prioritization for reporting and visualization. Uh, EMS capabilities as shown here include monthly data analytics, energy information systems, all detection and diagnostics and automated system optimization. Uh, within these uh, EMIS platforms, uh, analytics can be, uh, again, rule-based, uh, for instance, using a very well-established performance assessment rules established by NIST, or also ASHRAE, which uh, has uh, developed a guideline, guideline on high-performance sequence of operations for HVAC equipment. So that also can be, uh, in, uh, or it is incorporated into the analytics rule base. Model-based analytics is used, uh, on the other hand, to perform contextualization of building automation data, or to establish energy baselines, to establish system benchmarks, to predict consumption, energy savings, and optimize um, building systems. Here are some stats uh, summarizing the savings achieved, 3% attributed to the use of energy information systems, 9% to the use of fault detection and diagnostic tools. And those translate to about $3 million in annual savings for the median portfolio of uh, 15 million square feet. Those are all coming from this study uh, on the Smart Energy Analytics Campaign. Uh, median cost implemented in each platform are also shown here per square feet and uh, simple payback of, of a couple of years. Uh, the next figure at the bottom here shows the benefits of implementing EMIS with uh, energy savings, utility cost savings, the ability to make retrofit decisions or validate energy savings leading uh, the list here uh, selected by participant organizations. And you can see here all the other benefits as well. Now, here are some of the top measures implemented by facility teams driven by insights generated from EMIS platforms. Some include improving scheduling based on occupancy data, uh, adjustment of set points uh, based on uh, also occupancy and weather conditions, uh, reduced uh, simultaneous heating and cooling, and uh, optimized equipment operations such as staging of chillers and boilers and, and fans and pumps and so on in the building. 
Now, some of these measures are the result of insight generated by rule-based analytics. Uh, pattern analysis is also used to identify anomalies, help detect fault detection, or help detect faults and, uh, and diagnose them and to um, come up with recommended action for, for those uh, uh, insights. And uh, as well as modeling techniques, as mentioned earlier, to uh, establish baselines that are useful in, uh, in validating the change, that the changes that have been uh, performed in the building are actually having the effect that uh, were, was predicted uh, before the, uh, the change uh, took place. Now, in this last slide, I would like to focus a little bit on how organizations benefit from uh, the use of analytics. And uh, as we have seen, successful organizations have really figured out how to uh, use their uh, management system or framework that is the most appropriate for their uh, needs and how a data-driven uh, platform can help them achieve the goals that they have in that, uh, for that particular framework they have selected. Uh, this diagram on the left shows the four-stage energy management system uh, also known as ISO 50001, uh, perhaps many have uh, encountered that, that is based on the Plan, Do, Check, Act Continual Improvement Framework. And many organizations are either using a framework such as uh, ISO 50001 or others that have been derived from it, but uh, uh, they are able to achieve their objectives and energy targets to improve energy performance. And this is something that is on an ongoing process. So how how can organizations leverage analytics when implementing an a management system? Well, first, as uh, you can see here on the right, is to evaluate and select the software tools based on uh, the chosen framework. So it needs to support that chosen framework first before you start uh, evaluating uh, software capabilities. And the second is to determine what is required in terms of data. And there's a lot of data that is already there. It's just a matter of integrating all that. There's energy resource metering. There's building automation system data. And uh, it also needs to be organized properly and classified so that they are, um, uh, the proper data sets are able to be used to generate proper insights. And uh, third, to configure re the required metrics, of course, uh, including performance indicators, energy baselines, to evaluate the effectiveness of uh, the actions that, uh, um, that are needed and uh, the, that are needed to be accomplished to, to, to meet those goals. Uh, just once again, we always encourage organizations to select the framework first that would help them become data-driven and then evaluate the tools that would provide the required insights to achieve those organizational goals. Back to you, Stuart. Great, no, thanks Ricardo. Um, I'll have a follow-up question for you and then we can bring on the rest of the panelists and, and just do some Q&A. This is a, the whole energy carbon is, is such a big topic right now, right? So I've got a lot of questions on there. But specifically for you, how do you deal with the varied building management systems that are across clients' portfolios, right? That seems to be like one of the biggest challenges that we're seeing in, you know, getting to true energy uh, analytics. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. The, the integration of uh, disparate data sources is, is one uh, key challenge and actually is one of the barriers for the adoption of energy management and information systems that we see. Um, different solutions have are being um, 
um, developed and tested and, and, and deployed in order to um, um, reach those. Some of them are legacy systems. Some of them are systems that are falling under the uh, standard protocols, such as BACnet. Some of them are under another set of protocols. So we are trying to integrate all that into, into a central warehouse repository where we can actually um, uh, run um, um, the, the different uh, um, algorithms and engines to organize that information properly. So definitely there's a, there's a challenge there, but there's also some solutions that are coming up uh, as uh, more organizations, uh, including um, vendors, technology vendors are looking to integrate because that's really where, where the industry as a whole is moving towards is standardization and integration. There's, uh, there are um, groups that are working on, on standardizing some of the, some of the models, uh, how the data is being brought together in a central location so we can make better use of it. Um, uh, but, uh, but so we do have different connectors, different ways to connect to, to different types of uh, infrastructure for controls and building automation systems, but at the central on the central side, there's certainly a, a lot of work being done to standardize again and to, to come up with uh, models that uh, are, that can really lev be leveraged by other um, systems out there. Um, uh, digital twins, for instance, is one that uh, that is, is key here in terms of integrating a lot of the things that we're we're seeing out there. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, do have some follow-up questions, but why don't we get the rest of the panelists up? Um, so I think that everybody, Kevin, get Kevin on. And I know Kelly does have his camera. All right, so maybe we go back and let's talk about the foundation again, just and then we can kind of go up the stack a little bit. So data governance is key and critical. So maybe um, if you all want to comment on what you're seeing in your organization, what specifically, what kind of processes or frameworks have you done around data governance? And uh, I'll go with Kevin, Jesse, Laura, and then, you know, um, Ricardo and Kelly, you guys can input too. So Kevin? Um, for, you know, for us, data governance is paramount. And so we have a lot of processes in place in terms of analyzing what kind of data is uh, currently available, assessing what's missing, and trying to come up with an assessment of what's not good, for lack of a better term. Um, we are putting in processes about how to request for more data and how to maintain. So those are all things that we're working on in terms of ensuring that the data governance is not just you know, all about focusing on what is already in there, but what could come in the future and <laughs> how do we keep on adding to it and subtracting from it. Okay, it's Jesse. So for us at Shorenstein, we do not have a formal governance committee. Now we've had a smaller implementation and we back in early 2016 rounded up business leads, one from each area. And we've kind of had this ongoing internal core team that uh, was technical. They were power users at the same time. And when it comes to governance, we're starting to just dabble into formal governance now as we journey toward Power BI Premium, where we're gonna be posting data sets and you can actually start qualifying these data sets with labels as to whether they're certified or they're exploratory, um, whether they're corporate or just specific to a department. We also are, we've been very focused on any type of measure where there may be multiple definitions. The key one there, of course, is space. 
what is the square foot of this space, right? That's the most loaded question you can throw out in a room. Uh, we are going to probably enhance that whole governance a lot in 22. Uh, we did take a break during the the heart of the pandemic. Uh, folks like myself and my team, we were doing some ops-based work at times just to, to help things along as we all went remote. So it's time to pick back up where we left off in Feb of 20. Okay. And Laura? Uh, I guess the only thing I would, I would add above what's already been said is one of the biggest challenges that we see relative to data governance is um, just streamlining the integration of data and how it's landing in our environment. And so we're leveraging utilities like Atacama to do real-time monitoring, error detection, um, and storing of definitions. Okay. Ricardo, Kelly, anything you guys want to add on that? I just think that, you know, from CoStar's perspective, you know, we, we have thousands of researchers doing the data uh, part of CoStar and then our applications, you know, we set up guidelines. And so you want to look at systems that have guidelines for data input rather than just, you know, overall who's in charge of the data. We, we certainly encourage people to do that and we have workflows for it. But, um, you know, picking systems that test data input and validity is being put in so that you're making sure that, you know, number fields are entered where there's supposed to be a text field and things like that are, are a critical part of get data governance uh, policy, so. Yeah, that's a good one. I've, I've seen some reports where they're, um, you can highlight data quality issues. Um, and so and one point you made earlier is it's more of a business process issue, not a technology issue. And, you know, there's so many formats of how data is put in like street and abbreviations and things. And so having having a strong policy and a system that maybe kind of conforms those things and standardizes it as much as possible is very useful, particularly when you talk about square footages and you know what type of space is it and, and what you know what measure of space. Is. I heard somebody talk about taking a tape measure and measuring things out. That's a you know subject to human error as opposed to the research that uh, might be available externally. So. But it also just is basic, and I think Jesse mentioned it that just having definitions, right? Square footage is a perfect one, right? There's four or five different definitions of square footage and they're all correct and, and identifying those and having those um, set as a single source of um, uh, definitions is really important. Okay. Um, had a, uh, before I get to one of the questions on there, I had a question for Ricardo and it, it, it might apply to everybody, but in that central warehouse, there's usually some kind of model uh, um, that defines that. On the building side, I've seen a lot of people, and you know, we struggle ourselves too, from a building ontology. Just curious, Ricardo, what do you guys use on that? And any recommendations for others who really want to move into the energy and carbon analysis space? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a this is a very uh, very important um, subject in our industry in the building uh, energy domain. And definitely because of the integration of different data sources, so we are um, we have been um, using a lot of the um, the uh, standard protocols for the building on the building automation industry uh, to be able to uh, uh, use that alongside some of the semantic modeling that has been developed. For instance, uh, Project Haystack has uh, a, a way to to uh, um, organize uh, and uh, have and, and different taxonomies for classification and different ontologies in terms of relationships of data that we are 
trying to implement. Uh, and uh, we're flexible in terms of our, our system being able to uh, consume what is there. And uh, you know, through data analytics, we'll also use engines to, um, to see if we can uh, determine what is in the building. Because we have different standards for the naming convention, acronyms, and, and descriptions, and so on. Uh, different nomenclatures. So we're trying to to uh, consolidate and, and understand how how systems are named, how how buildings are configured, uh, to a point that we are able to build this model and uh, and then use that, of course, to uh, to continue doing further analytics using using that those models. Um, there's definitely you know there's there's a lot of work being done in terms of the semantic interoperability of uh, of data coming from buildings from different sources. So we are uh, really uh, wanting to work very very close with the facility teams, with the uh, even uh, controls integrators to uh, to be able to leverage as much of the data that is there the easiest way possible. So we have uh, we have that conduit into. Be doing the analytics eventually. Okay, but definitely this is an area of, uh, of, of great. So I think I heard haste. Sorry, I think I heard haystack. So you guys use that and um, okay, great. Well, thank you. One of the questions coming in from the panelists, uh, I'm sorry, from the attendees, was uh, around BI, Power BI specifically. So maybe we can talk about tools a little bit. Uh, Jesse and Kevin, you guys both mentioned Power BI. Laura, I know Tableau is very big, and there, there's some Power BI in there too. So the question was really about um, uh, Power BI lives in several products. You know, how would it, suggestions for the enterprise implementation of that? And maybe everybody can can touch on that as it relates also to advanced analytics. So is, are you guys using Tableau Power BI just for you know hindsight and actual insights or are you trying to leverage it for advance? So maybe I'll go the other way. Laura, Jesse, Kevin, any comments on this, the tech tools? Sure. Um, I mean, we we use a spectrum of tools. Um, so starting to use Python for more predictive analytics. Um, we are core based in Tableau, um, but Power BI I think is, is equally good. The, the thing I'll say when it comes to considering the tool selection when we're talking about enterprise clients is data is only valuable if everyone feels comfortable and empowered to access it, or analytics, I should say. And a lot of how I view what our team does and the value that we afford our clients is my mission is for us to democratize access to those analytics and insights such that the CEO and everyone uh, down the, the value chain uh, all feel comfortable um, tapping into that analytics database. It shouldn't just be you know a couple members of the team who have data science or um, data engineering architecture background. So the reason I share that is we found that we had built this really robust um, platform, which we were rolling out to clients and we were really struggling with adoption because people don't want to learn a new technology, um, regardless of how user friendly it might be. And so we made the decision as a firm to actually build a, a user experience, um, so a, a web interface for our clients, so that they're not actually having to go into the analytics tool itself. They're able to access those analytics um, feeding in through the backend system. So I, I would just say, um, in my experience at scale, it may actually need to step away from um, some of the more technical tooling in order to get mass adoption. Yeah, no, I love the democratized access. Um, that's great, great viewpoint. Jesse? So, so I'm going to piggyback on that comment about um, introducing a new system because part of our journey 
from this point forward is consolidating systems. And when it comes to the technology that's in Power BI, which is an in-memory analytics engine, and you ask some folks, what does that mean? Well, I mean, if you're looking at a traditional database on disk versus an in-memory analytics engine, it's at least 400 times faster to retrieve that data. That's why we want an in-memory analytics engine. So the first decision you have to make is, are you willing to look to, to support the long-term total cost of ownership if you're going enterprise? And at the same time, do you have the commitment from your business units to contribute ongoing to that data warehouse, that model that will all sit inside of Power BI. So if you can answer yes to those questions, moving away from the self-service level of Power BI's engine, which is the Excel data model in Excel, the Power BI desktop, that's siloed analytics, it's fantastic. The next step up from there is Power BI Pro, which gives you some web access, but you're still pretty limited. So then you cross the bridge and you go into the enterprise world of Power BI Premium. And when you start heading there, you need to make sure you have the practices in place that are pretty reminiscent of the old school database developer practices. How are you going to source control? How are you going to distribute to users? You don't want to send your executives to the Power BI portal. They're going to get lost. So you need to figure out how you're going to craft all that's become available in that pretty incredible tool set that is now Power BI. It's a, it's a dangerous term to throw around. And then finally, uh, shifting over to that enterprise state allows you so much more in terms of connecting in real time to some of your data sources. We, for example, we love the interaction we can have with our Yardi database. Yardi offers up a whole bunch of different ways to connect. And we can connect our Power BI in the cloud directly to our replicated live database, which is on Yardi's turf and still have the same security we see in the Yardi application. That's dynamite. Uh, so bun bunch of positives, obviously. I'm not trying to sell it, but we've had a great experience. Okay, Kevin. And then, uh, you know, in terms of adding on, I fully agree with what both uh, Jesse and Laura says. Um, the only thing I probably would add is in terms of tool selection, uh, we select a tool based upon the use case. You know, we find, you know, trying to force use cases into tools have led, led to substandard results. And at some point, we're probably going to face a tech debt in the future because of it. But right now, to drive more adoption and to drive more use cases and to drive continued innovation, we let the use case determine the tools. With that said, um, just, you know, Tableau is probably our strongest visualization suite, and that's what we primarily use. And Power BI is only leverage where Excel is still necessary. Yeah, yeah. No, that is interesting to see. Um, Kelly, I got a question for you. Maybe we'll just go on to the next one because uh, I don't know if the tools is as much in your domain. But um, as clients go into the journey to advanced analytics, and, and I'll pass on everybody after that, what's the biggest hurdle? I mean, what do you guys see, and in, in, in how can you help clients in in that journey from the you know backward looking to forward looking? So Kelly, start with you. Sure. Well, again, CoStars uh, has a team of uh, analysts that put in predictive uh, information and forecasts that if you have access to you know, the market data, uh, you can look at you know where things are going in terms of vacancy, occupancy, things like that. And that's done by markets, submarkets, or even if you do a radius search around a certain area. Um, and then again, 
you know, I know that everybody has a lot of tools that uh, they're using already uh, to bring that data inside or to, to manage their own portfolios. But, you know, systems like CoStar that also offer applications that can bring that data in and then integrate it with other Okay. Um, why don't we go through everybody else? Um, Ricardo, Kevin, Jesse, Laura, uh, on the journey, you know, what's the hardest part and, you know, any suggestions for the attendees um, as, they, as they move through that journey? I'll throw in a one-liner that uh, you get a nice established system, everybody's happy. And um, when you, when you, start to get questions about why you're spending so much time continuing to maintain, why costs have changed, um, why it's taking longer to create use cases. Uh, that ties right back to what I talked about in the beginning. You need to commit up front to the total cost of ownership and the fact that your business needs to understand that you need to nurture this forever. It does. It's not just set it and forget it. Mm -hmm. uh -oh. I'll briefly echo that in saying um, use cases. Clients love data. Um, they're hungry for data insights. It's sometimes challenging to um, work with them to get to a place where they're able to confidently articulate what those use cases are. And so I think that's, that's where we hope to come to the table as, as a great thought partner. Um, but it's a delicate balance between guiding um, and trying to, to tease out um, what the value actually is for them in their business. Yeah, I mean, I talked about the challenges earlier on about, um, you know, interpretation and partnering with the business. And, you know, to Laura's point, it comes really down to use case because uh, we can generate, I've generated so many metrics and they ended up just being trophies on the wall. I don't know how many times we came up with KPIs and such, but because the use case was never strong enough, you generate these insights and they end up on the shelf. So, and so um, we are very focused on use case and we, structure everything around the use case, including tool selection, interpretation, collaboration, et cetera. I'm going to throw something in there based on what Kevin said. There's no better payback than working off use cases, building models or a giant model that works really well, and then getting another use case and not having to start from scratch, being able to turn around the solution in a day because somebody said, I need this report. And what you heard was, oh, I just need to go into my model and write another measure. And we already have the other 90%, all the attributes ready to go on the shelf. That's when investing in a BI solution is just, you know, puts a smile on everyone's face. That's a good one as far as the journey, right? I mean, you start, start small, build upon that, um, again, that foundation there. Yeah, that's definitely a journey. Um, we have started uh, uh, early on providing a lot of insights in, uh, in ways that we thought that uh, users would understand, would take action, but uh, we soon realized that, uh, well, it was too much, right? It was an overload, even the overload of information that was actually being produced from the raw data was still too much. So we, we needed to have that, uh, as many have mentioned here, a journey to understand where are they at in terms of their analytic-driven uh, journey and, and, and provide to them what, what is needed. 
and uh, we we see a lot of success stories there. So again, going back to the to the case studies and the ability to to see how insights are really making a big difference in other organizations and so for others to uh, to understand and learn from that has been key uh, to to uh, to achieve success strongly and then understanding again uh, where where they're coming from and then helping them in that in that process. Yeah, no, that's really good. And I know, you know, this is big in your area, Ricardo, and, and for everybody else too. So fault detection is probably the the number one thing I hear about advanced analytics and prediction, right? Being able to take that. Curious for some of the others, are you guys looking at that and maybe a couple other use cases that might be say next on that advanced analytics, predicting or prescripting um, uh, measures? I'll just open up, anybody else want to jump in? Um, I'll jump in. Uh, in terms of use cases, uh, we're not doing anything with fault detection. Uh, it could be something we'll look at in future. Um, like, and primarily, you know, things that we are more interested in right now is site selection, it's investment decisions, um, strategic portfolio management uh, <clears throat> from a standpoint of, hey, where do we want to be a year from now? Where do we want to be two years? Uh, are we really being ag aggressive enough, et cetera? So site selection, yeah, no, that, that's a really good one. Um, Jesse, Laura? In my case, we're not doing any of that, and that's just because of our profile. We typically don't go into the buildings in terms of getting the data, but there are plenty of owner-operators out there that are looking for fault detection on electric, on water, and looking to leverage tons of information coming from their building systems. We're just not there at this time. Don't know if we will be based on our typical hold uh, time. Makes sense. And we are not doing a lot of that only because of the um, the real time nature of it. Um, so we haven't invested in um, our data warehouse being able to process information um, within a couple of seconds uh, latency. And so because of that, it's, it's been hard for us to move into fault detection just because we need to actually bypass that system. And I think going back to what Kevin said earlier, um, that backnet integration. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's it's hard. But no, no, no argument there. What do you guys? Okay, we've got about three, four minutes left. Um, I had a few questions, but you know, what do you guys see is on the horizon on the analytics journey? I mean, what do you think is going to happen in the next couple of years that's not happening today? Uh, and then maybe anything else you guys want to maybe just summarize uh, for the attendees as we move through the whole panel um, as, a, as a recap. So uh, maybe I'll go back to Kelly and Ricardo and come back um, to the others as far as kind of a summary recap and what's in the future. Kelly, you want to jump in? Well, sure. Um, you know, I just appreciate being part of this. Um, I know that CoStars, and uh, in, in my perspective on it, may be a little different from what some of you are thinking about in terms of this. But uh, you know, just would uh, love to talk to every anybody uh, more about what you know external data sources can do, and what also you know, like some of these things we've talked about for data governance uh, and validity of data could uh, you know could be thought of for business processes because again you know the use cases and the idea of what do you need the data to tell you from a strategy standpoint is key and defining that uh, up front is critical you know there's so many real estate departments and people 
involved with the management of it that are being pressed right now for cost savings opportunities. Uh, people are asking, how do we find opportunities in our portfolio to do things and to make decisions? So um, there's a lot of ways that having external data can help um, drive those decisions. So thank you. Okay. And then you each got about 30 seconds if we're going to get through everybody. So Ricardo. <laughs> yeah, well, it's uh, been a privilege to be part of this uh, panel. Certainly the comfort, you know, having buildings uh, uh, with uh, comfortable uh, spaces with uh, people that are happy with their spaces. And also the energy side has been uh, the, the two primary areas. But it, we see moving forward, the area of climate accounting is coming into the full picture here in terms of uh, uh, measuring emissions and uh, uh, targeting the emission reduction goals and uh, carbon offsets and so on. So those are things that are coming into the picture for us as well. And we're moving forward to, to have higher analytics, better reporting and meet uh, organizational goals in those areas. Okay, Laura? Uh, I would say as much as we've been talking about them for five years, um, and a lot of firms like to talk about it, like it's something that they're steeped in, in terms of expertise, I, I actually think that tightening up our ability to bring benchmarking um, and predictive analytics to the table is probably what we'll be looking to refine in the next five years. My team lovingly refers to it as buzzword bingo right now, because um, it's something that almost every client asks for, and yet very firms, if you were to really uh, look uh, under the hood, really have much in place um, to be able to deliver on that. Um, and again, I think that relates back to the fact that we're still early, and, and I say this as an industry, we're still really early in um, having clean, structured, high fidelity data at scale. And in order for us to provide really high quality benchmarks um, and really high value predictive analytics, we have to have a ton, ton, ton of data that we're working with. And clients really are still quite early um, in that adoption curve such that we just, as much as we as a firm may have those predictive analytics capabilities, uh, there is no that was easy button. And so we may be five years out um, from, you know, amassing enough information with one individual firm to be able to implement a program at scale that's actually valuable to them. So um, I would say, you know, five years from now, we're going to be a much different place as an industry in, in talking about those two um, value adds. All right. So Chuck's on. I think we're out of time. I, you guys did great. I, I really do appreciate the discussion. I think one of the things, my takeaway uh, that I can just emphasize and, and stomp on the ground and wave my hands is that business partnership between technology and and the business. Kevin mentioned it, Jesse mentioned it, Laura talked about it. That's so important. If you're standing on this side of the chasm, Jesse, uh, <laughs> and you don't have that, you, you're not going anywhere. You, you're just going to be fantasizing about all this stuff that everybody else is talking about. And it's you've got to be able to send that message and, and help develop that relationship. And I, that was so true with in, in when I was in the director's seat, as well as uh, what I see with my clients. So thank you, Stuart. Thank you, all the panelists. Your contributions are so valuable. And for our live audience and those watching this on a recording, just be sure to go to realcom.com to register for the third session in our real estate data analytics webinar series airing one week from today, February 24th, and we'll continue with data and analytics, data case studies, taking the organization to new heights. If you like these sessions, I'm telling you right now, you don't want to miss those because case studies start to get into the details. So thanks again, everybody be safe, and uh, it was great having you all on. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, Bye -bye. everyone.
拜拜。